Hey friends, my name is Ashley and I'm the global and local outreach pastor here and I just want to welcome you again to Cedar Mill Online. I have the pleasure of speaking with you this morning from week three of lessons from the lockdown. And the first week you may remember that Pastor Dave, before he left us and went on sabbatical, he's having fun eating Hawaiian ice and swimming with dolphins and riding mermaids and all those things. I don't know what he's doing. So, but he's having a great time and he thanks you for your prayers. He kicked off the first week by talking about the B attitudes or the beatitudes and those 11 things that are blessings or that God says that we are blessed if we are those things. And some of those things are blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek and on and on. And I feel like those things really highlight who we are called to be in 2020 and in 2021, which we're in now. And then we had Andrew Palau come and he kicked off week two by talking about Mark two and the paralytic man and how his friends helped get him to the feet of Jesus. And Andrew left us with the question, whose mat is Jesus asking you to carry? And I think that was an amazing question, and I'm still leaning into that this morning. So here in week three, I don't have one specific passage to share with you, but what I'm going to share today are a few personal lessons that I feel God was teaching me in and throughout the lockdown and throughout 2020, really. Um, more accurate, accurately, I should say that I, I haven't really learned these lessons, but I'm still in process with most of them as we all are still in process with what God is teaching us. But at the beginning of 2020 or at the beginning of the lockdown, it seemed like everybody was really excited, not at the beginning of the lockdown, but at the beginning of 2020, it seemed like everybody was really excited. Everyone was talking about 2020, the clear and perfect vision that it was going to provide. And most of us saw at least a dozen clips of Barbara Walters doing that, you know, it's 2020 thing over and over again. And it was funny at the time. But then 2020 happened. We got into it. And I feel like now it really did provide clearer vision as we've had time to look back on it. All of it wasn't great. But a lot of it was good in the sense that God used it to refine and prune us individually and our church moving forward to be a more accurate reflection of his kingdom here on earth. So how many of you remember where you were when the stay-at-home orders went into effect? I remember. I was here at church, and I think a few of us were going through this marriage counseling um, class. And so as I was on a break with some of the other pastors, I think Dan was there and Pastor Bethany and Nick. Um, we were eating our sandwiches, and all of a sudden I got summoned into another meeting. And that's when things changed. Online services began to be filmed within the next few days, and we decided that, that church, as far as coming in the building, was not going to happen. All staff was immediately working from home, 
And that night, myself and Amy and Dax Teixeira went to Winco to kind of prepare to stock up for all the things. You know, I'm buying canned goods that I normally don't eat. I'm looking for toilet paper because, you know, they were all gone. Um, but we're preparing for all of these things. And so all of our plans had stopped suddenly. Our weekly gatherings had stopped. My weekly gatherings with friends had stopped. I was home alone, which brings me to my first lesson, which is what it means to be vulnerable. Vulnerability is defined as the quality or state of being exposed to the possibility of being attacked or harmed either physically or emotionally. During 2020, my own vulnerability was highlighted over and over again. What made the stay-at-home orders feel so extreme at times wasn't just the pandemic, but everything else that took place during that time. I was alone, and it would actually be eight weeks until I had my first hug. I remember my friend Meg's giving me my first hug when we went on a walk, eight weeks from the stay-at-home orders from the lockdown. And although I'm an introvert, which simply means that I recharge by having alone time. I had way too much alone time during the lockdown. I highly value relationships, so not having the tangible presence of another person during that time was really rough for me. People were getting sick, and in my aloneness, I wondered what would happen if I were to get sick too. Surely, I would die and no one would know. I had racing thoughts. My anxiety was already at an all time high by that point and then George Floyd was murdered. And on top of that, everything else and compounded by the deaths of Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor months earlier, a very real fear and sadness that my life was in danger crept in. As a black single woman, I found myself being afraid to even leave my house out of fear that anyone could just walk up to me and say or do whatever they wanted. I was in a place of real vulnerability. Some of you may have gone through some similar things, experiencing your own vulnerability. Some of you may have gone through completely different things. I know there was a wide variety of experiences that may have made you feel vulnerable during 2020. This is just a few of my own. But regardless of what we dealt with, all of us dealt with some form of trauma in 2020. It's impossible to say we didn't. The things that I mentioned as well as others left me feeling vulnerable. And being vulnerable felt risky, uncomfortable. I felt powerless in those moments. And then God reminded me that in order to follow him faithfully, vulnerability is required. Vulnerability requires courage, strength, and humility, along with a willingness to put yourself and to put yourself in potentially harmful situations. This is something that we see Jesus modeling time and time again in scripture. One of those scriptures can be found in John eleven thirty five, which is known as the shortest verse in the Bible, which as we all know is Jesus wept. 
a culmination of things led to where we see Jesus crying. So let me summarize it up for you. Two of Jesus' closest friends and disciples, Mary and Martha, had a brother named Lazarus, who was also a friend of Jesus, and Lazarus was sick. Jesus was out doing Jesus-y things, being about his father's business, and all. And when all of a sudden he received word from Mary and Martha that said this, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, I said that Jesus was out doing his father's business. The scripture says that although he loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for two more days. So we fast forward to two days later when Jesus heads back to Judea, even though his disciples warn him that it might not be the best idea for him to do so, since people there were actually trying to stone him. They wanted him dead. But Jesus, being accustomed to opposition, said, let's go, while adding some metaphor to them to really explain what he really meant. And of course, they didn't get it, as we often don't get it. And then he goes on to talk again about life and death and faith. I'm fast forwarding through this passage because it's a lot of scripture. But we come to the part where Jesus finally makes it back to Judea. And Jesus is greeted by Martha at first. And in her grief, Martha says to Jesus, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. And they engage in another brief dialogue about the resurrection. Afterwards, Martha goes back home and tells Mary that Jesus is here. And so Mary gets up and and she goes to see Jesus. And Mary, in her grief, says the same thing that Martha did. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The text goes on to say, when Jesus saw her weeping, that is Mary, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. They asked him where, he asked him, where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Jesus weeping here was not just a sign of his vulnerability, but it also was a sign of his strength. As he stood at the tomb and tears fell, he was moved by the situation, but he wasn't shaken or rattled by it. Jesus shows both physical and emotional vulnerability in this passage. First, when he decides to go back to Judea, even though people were going to kill him to cause him physical harm, it says. They were being threatened. Jesus was not controlled by fear in that moment. He knew that in order to fulfill his purpose that was set before him, he had to respond in vulnerability. Then if that wasn't enough, he encounters blame from Martha and Mary for the death of their brother. And Martha and Mary were his friends, and so of course that hurt. This was painful for Jesus to hear, but instead of centering his own pain, which he surely felt, he entered into theirs. He heard them, he saw them, and paid attention to their need. And Jesus wasn't the only one that showed vulnerability, but both Martha and Mary also showed vulnerability. It took a lot of vulnerability to go to Jesus and say, if you've been here, 
he would have made it. He would not have died. Can you imagine talking to Jesus that way? Truly authentic and vulnerable. That's how he wants us to respond to him. And so both Mary and Martha in their sadness and honest lament go to Jesus and express grief, deep grief. They come with tears in their eyes. They come begging for help. And in our vulnerability, we must do the same. Jesus is our only hope. With, without vulnerability, we don't get lament. We don't get to mourn with those who mourn without vulnerability. We don't get to rejoice with those who rejoice without vulnerability. Being comfortable is the enemy to vulnerability. And as the old saying goes, we can't have our cake and eat it too, meaning we can't be followers of Jesus, but also be begging for comfort at the same time. Everyone is walking around with their guard up these days because of 2020. And with a year like it was, I can't blame us. I walk around with my guard up too at times. But hardening our hearts for whatever the reasons may be is not the way to move forward. C.S. Lewis says this, There is no safe investment. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it up carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to not being vulnerable is spiritual and emotional death. A lack of vulnerability keeps you, keeps us from living out God's purpose for our lives. Jesus came for the sick. He came for the needy. And if we are Jesus followers, all of the purposes are, all of our purposes are the same. Maybe not in vocation, but in the end goal, it's the same. And that purpose is to love God and to love our neighbor. And when those things are happening, the gospel will not be hindered. True vulnerability goes out and true vulnerability causes evangelism. It catalyzes unity. It catalyzes justice, and the list goes on and on. And I think that Jesus is heartbroken over the heartache that each one of us felt in 2020 and still feels in 2021. For most of us, it is still lingering. It's still here. We're still in a pandemic, not like we were before, but we're still there. I think he's heartbroken over our lack of humility within the church. I think he's heartbroken over our inability to forgive one another. I think he would be heartbroken over our inability to lament over whatever breaks the hearts of our brothers and sisters. I think he's heartbroken over our refusal to repent over sin, even if the sins we have trouble, even the sins that we have trouble seeing in ourselves. I think he is moved to weeping by the lack of sincere love and vulnerability being displayed in his 
church, not just Cedar Mill, but his church. And we have a choice to make. We will allow our hearts to be hardened or we will intentionally choose the way of Jesus, which is vulnerability. Lesson two, which goes along with vulnerability in many senses, is true friendship. And true friendship is solidarity. And solidarity is this thing where, you know, you're ride or die with someone. You will go to bat for them at any given moment over anything. And a lot of times our friendships don't go that extra step. And I know a lot of you have lost friendships during this season, this heightened season of political animosity, of, of all the things that we've been arguing over. Our friendships, our unity has been severed. And that grieves the heart of God, grieves my heart. Friendship is more than just lip service. It requires action, care, and mutual commitment. Last week, Andrew preached on Mark 2, as I mentioned before, and he highlighted the story of the paralyzed man. He left us with that question. Whose mat are we being asked to carry? To me, the answer to this question requires us to commit to the act of friendship. And it's bound up with solidarity, which is modeled by the paralytic man as well as his friends. They were willing to go through whatever it took to get their friend healing, as Andrew said, to the feet of Jesus. Jesus was and is willing to do whatever it takes to befriend and be in a relationship with us. Many of us have experienced that. Many of us have experienced the never-ending and do experience the never-ending pursuit of Jesus Christ. John 15, 13 says, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for their friends. Are you willing to lay down your life for your friends? That's a hard question for me. In a lot of ways, sometimes not so much. In other ways, maybe. Maybe if that friend thinks the same way that I do. Maybe if that friend looks the same way that I do. But that's not what Jesus says. A friend is a friend. And friendship requires us to sacrifice not only our physical selves, but our thoughts and our opinions as well. Friends listen with love and then respond in love. Lesson three is unity. And you guys are used to hearing about unity a lot. Uh, it's one of those things that sometimes you get sick of hearing about because people throw it around so flippantly. Unity, unity, unity. I know I get sick of it. But one of the things that I feel like God was really impressing upon me was that unity is more than just maintaining diversity. Unity is more than just bringing people together. Unity, actually, as Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 says, is that we've been called to maintain the unity that we've been given. And that implies something. That implies that once we enter into 
the kingdom of Jesus, once we've accepted Jesus and we've been filled with the Holy Spirit, that we already have unity, that it's not the superficial things that unite us, but it's that unity that we have through the Holy Spirit already that creates all the other things that we try to make before we actually have unity. So for instance, you know, we talk a lot about diversity and all these other things. We can't have diversity before we have unity. We've been united by the Holy Spirit. We have to acknowledge that and we have to fight for the things that unite us. We have to fight for our belief that Jesus is the one true son of God, that he was risen from the dead, that he died on the cross from our, for our sins. These are the things that unite us. And through all of those things, we have a coming together. We maintain our spiritual unity and we fight for that unity. We don't just give up on unity because maybe our friends or our family or our church doesn't believe in what we believe or doesn't bow down to the same politic that we bow down to. Unity is not that easily forsaken. The body of Christ is stronger than any one belief, any one narrative that is going around in our culture today. And so our call is to unity. Paul says, I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. We must be eager, first and foremost, to maintain our unity and the bond of peace, more so than we are eager to defend our own thoughts or our own opinions. And I think in 2020, we got a little off track. We started wanting to defend our thoughts and our opinions instead of wanting to maintain our unity through the bond of peace. And so this morning, as I come to a close, I just wanna challenge all of you to reflect upon the lessons that you've learned from the lockdown. Out of all of these three things, the thing that's highlighted to me the most is that I need Jesus, as we all do. I need him to highlight in me what I can't see. I need him to help me to be vulnerable and to be a good steward of what he's asked me to do. I need him to show up in those dark and lonely places. I need him to show me how to pursue relationships and sacrifice my own needs and desires in order to do that. I need him to help me be willing to maintain the unity of the body, of the church. And if you need him today, just say that very thing. Say, Lord, I need you. I need to see you. I need to experience you. This will require you to be vulnerable. It will require all of us to be vulnerable. And I guarantee that at some point, some way, somehow, the Lord will meet you right where you're at. He will show up because he's faithful. 
you know, I was at home a few weeks ago and I got to see my 97 year old great aunt Ruth, who you guys have heard me talk about before. And I haven't seen her in three years. I haven't seen my family in three years. I'd hoped to go home in 2020, but as I said before, things happened. And so all of my plans changed and I wasn't able to go home. So I finally got to go home and I saw my great aunt Ruth, who's in an assistant living facility. She has dementia. And so we're talking and, you know, I ask her, so what is the secret to living a long life? She's 97. And she points up to the sky and she says, he's it. He's my all. He's my everything. He's who I praise. And I just say to you, if you want to live a long life, if you want to live a purposeful life for the kingdom of God, Jesus has to be our all and our everything. Thanks, friends.